Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, I'm Dave Everett. Uh, anyway, uh, we just uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I'm going to get into the message here real quickly, but there's a couple of announcements real quick. It's really just our regular announcements. We do have our Bible study tonight. We'll be showing it tonight live here at 6 o'clock on Facebook Live. And then uh, um, also just want to mention, too, that we do uh, have uh, free Bible classes online. Uh, and our website is lighthousediscipleship.org. Again, that's lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, we have free Bible classes. Uh, they're absolutely free. And our whole purpose of this ministry is to help get you equipped in God's Word. Uh, we want you to be establishing your identity, equipping His Word, and empowered to fulfill your destiny. And so uh, we're a discipleship church. Uh, we, we're, that's why our name is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And our whole purpose is to get you discipled unto the Word of God and knowing who you are in Christ and, and so you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. So anyway, we have three Bible classes. We have a Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock and then we're going to jump into the, the morning's message. Uh, I haven't done this regularly, but I'm going to start doing it hopefully more regularly. I've always had a, uh, my own private issues of uh, asking for offerings but whatnot, but uh, we we do have, uh, we've been live streaming for a while and COVID and whatnot has forced us to do some things a little different, uh, but we do, uh, we are 501c3, we are a church, and so we do, on the web, our website, lighthouseinsideship.org, we do have a section for you to give, you know, whether it be a one-time offering monthly or, or however the Lord leads on your heart, so we do appreciate that, so we can continue doing what we're doing, and so we do uh, make that offer to you, uh, and, uh, and so uh, just follow your heart. Anyway, so here we are. Let's go ahead and jump into the, the word this morning. Uh, as we uh, talked about uh, a message that I haven't spoken on before, but I'm titled with the message is, is uh, the garden restored. The garden restored. And there's a couple different aspects of this I want to bring out over the next few weeks. I'm not sure how many weeks I'm going to be going with this particular uh, uh, teaching series. But and I shared a little bit of this last week as we uh, kicked off this, this uh, teaching series. <coughs> you know, when I have my personal times with God, especially those, what I call those most intimate times with the Lord, I, in my own mind, I, I've heard different people picture different things. They see themselves in the throne room of God. They, they're in their prayer closet, however that may look. But for me, the way I see it, I see myself walking with God like Adam and Eve did, specifically Adam, in the cool of the day before the fall. And so, so that's, uh, that's uh, uh, how I picture myself with God. When I picture myself as he, he's my daddy. Yes, he's my king. Yes, he's my God. Yes, he's my savior. Yes, he's my healer, my provider. And also, so many different things. And I, I think I'm doing a message after this one about the names of God. And I'm not quite sure the title yet. And, but he, he's, yes, he's my God, but he's also my, my Abba, my Father. And, uh, and, and, and more than me just giving my prayer list to him, even though that comes out in the, in the conversation. Because to me, prayer, in its most sincere and simplest form, is koinonia with God. It's a relationship with him. It's hanging out with my Abba. And uh, yes, he's my God. And yes, I understand I can petition and ask for 
But if that's all I'm doing, that's really a selfish relationship. If all I'm doing is what I can get out of it. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's my God. He's my King. He's my Abba. He's my Savior. And, I, and, and, and He said I can come boldly to the Son of Grace to receive mercy in time of need. But I don't want to just come to Him when I need Him. Yet sometimes uh, that's my, some of my most intimate times. But it's in those times that I get direction. It's in those times I get uh, just a reminder of His presence and how much He loves me. And I picture myself walking with God. But I've titled this message, The Garden Restored. Because before the fall, before sin ever came upon the earth, before there was ever sickness, before there was ever divorce and broken relationships, before there was ever any type of addiction, before there was any type of evil in the world, and anarchy and whatnot, that God, the first relationship God created was a relationship between man kind man and himself. That was the very first relationship. Before there was Adam and Eve, there was Adam and God. If I can put it in that, that perspective. And before, and what did, what did Adam do during those times before the fall? There wasn't any healing that he needed. There wasn't any provision that he needed. There wasn't any relationship issues. There wasn't really, there was some direction at the very beginning of, of this purpose or whatnot. But I just see him hanging out with God. And all of that was lost when Adam sinned. All of that was lost. He had free access to the tree of life. But he lost that free access when he sinned and he was uh, expelled from the garden. And mankind has been expelled from the garden from Adam's sin till the to, to the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, through Jesus Christ, has restored our relationship back with God. We were alienated from the life of God because of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, death reigned. But much more those who receive, excuse me, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5, 17. You know, and, and anyone who knows me knows that I love the subject of righteousness, especially these last uh, uh, five or six, seven years. Righteousness. My favorite childhood verse was, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's Matthew 6.33. And so... But, you know, most of my childhood life, even young adult life, until the last uh, 10 years or so, I never really understood what righteousness was. And I'm going to be talking briefly about that in this, this, uh, this series, not so much today. But righteousness is, in the simplest form, first of all, let me just, when I finally realized the word righteousness, it's used over 500 times, 512 the last time I counted. But 500, over 500 times the word righteousness is used. It's a noun, not a verb. A noun is a person, place, or thing. A verb is something we do, an action. Righteousness is not a verb. It's a noun. Yes, we need to live righteously. Yes, we need to live holy and godly and whatnot. And, 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 uh, and, I'm, and uh, uh, I'm not dovetailing around that. But righteousness is who we are. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become 
that we might be born of the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ Jesus. Without Christ became our sin that Adam committed, that God, Adam uh, introduced us into. He became our sin. He crucified that sin. Romans chapter 6 talks about we, how we were... We, we would die with Him. We were buried with Him. We, and we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Adam, Jesus, the second Adam, or the last Adam, became our sin so that we be, could become uh, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The word righteousness means that we are in right standing. We are in right relationship with Him. And it's not based on what we've done. It's based on what He's done. Our own righteousness can't save us. If our own righteousness could save us, then we don't need Jesus. But we do need Jesus. Only Jesus, only the blood of Jesus can make you right with God. Only the blood of Jesus can make anything holy. But because we are holy, because we are righteous, we live righteously. The grace of God According to Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. We are taught to deny ungodliness. It's not automatic in one sense. We need to be taught. What do we need to be taught? We need to be taught who we are. We need to be, we need to be, we, and, and our, we, need, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word renew, from, uh, according from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we, we, need, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word renew, is a, when you study it out in the Greek, it, it's the same, it means to mend. It's the same way that when you renew, it also means to renovate. If I were to renovate this house, I might, we might you know, every time house here and I have lived in, we've, we've always dreamed, if money was no option, well, how would we renovate this house? And we know... <coughs> some renovations that we would make in this house. The flooring for one, the, the popcorn ceiling would change in this house, and, and there would be some other things that we would do. But, obviously, some of those things would cost a pretty penny. But, but I'm just trying to describe, describe renovating. When you renovate something, you, you, you're going to change its look. You're going to change some things. You might have, add on some rooms. You might knock out some walls. You might add some windows. You might change the windows. You might change the cosmic. You might paint the house. You might change it from stuckling, stucco. I don't know what I said. Stucco to uh, maybe siding or whatever the case may be. You know, and so the, you know when, when we're renovating our minds, when we're renewing our minds, you know, we, we need to, to to renovate our minds. We need to know that we are no longer in Christ. We are. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are dead to sin. We are no longer, that's not who we are. We need to behold all things that become new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we know no man after the flesh, even Christ. But we are to behold that we have become new creations, a whole new creation, a whole new species in Christ Jesus. God has reconciled us to himself. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And we need to reconcile we need to be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Because and this is the reconciliation. This is where that verse consists in Romans 
from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become, that we might be born of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So because of Christ, we are reconciled to him. We, because of Christ, we can have a relationship with God. Outside of Christ, you cannot have a relationship with God. That's right. That's righteous. And we're going to get into some of that. But, but, we have, but because of Christ, we can walk with God. We can have a relationship with God the same way Adam did before the fall. And to me, that is what I mean in, in one sense, the garden restored. One of the, the key things that we teach in this church is, first of all, is our identity with Christ. Right? Our, we are righteous. But one of the other key things that we teach in this church is that we can have a relationship with God. We don't teach religion here. We teach a relationship with God. Thank God that God has given us gifts, and some of those gifts are pastors and teachers, apostles and prophets and missionaries and, and, and evangelists. But he gave us those gifts. He gave us people like pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ. My job is to equip you to have a relationship with God and to have a relationship with one another as a body of Christ. My job is to equip you to edify one another. But you can't edify one another if you are still struggling with knowing who you are in Christ. If you don't have this relationship reconciled, you're going to have a very tough time reaching out to other people in your own strength. I'm not, we're not teaching us to disciple one another in our own strength. We are teaching people to be, uh, have a relationship with God so that through God, by His Holy Spirit, you can be a Effective in reaching our world. Even in times like this. Even in these last days. You know, in these last days, Jesus prophesied about it. John prophesied about it. James prophesied. Paul prophesied how terrible and how, how godless and how evil these last days will be. And we're seeing that happen right before our eyes. But even in this hour, even in this age where you have been born, God didn't make a mistake creating you and having you live in this society, in this age, in this country, at this time, or whatever country you may be listening to. God has ordained that you be, live in this, this day, in this hour, when our world is a mess, when our world is heading towards anarchy and godlessness at a very high rate. God has called you, the church, the body of Christ, to be a light. To be the salt of the earth. To bring people to Jesus. But you can't do that in your own strength. You need the spirit of the living God. You need a right relationship with God. Jesus in his day. The apostles in their day. Rome was a very godless society. There was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of godlessness in their day. But they needed a relationship with God. Jesus needed a relationship with the Father. So he knew what to do when to do it, and where to do it, and who to reach. None of the, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of the lifestyle of Jesus happened without his own relationship with God. God told him where to go. God told him where to minister to. God told him different things. God, throughout the ages, has told people to do. He told Jeremiah, go, you're going to have a ministry, but no one's going to listen to you. He even told Isaiah basically that, too. 
You're going to have a ministry. You're going to preach. But no one's going to listen to you. I don't know about you, but you know, most people don't sign up for a job like that. But we have been called to preach the God. We cannot reject the gospel for people because they don't want to listen to it. We're, we're not here to shove it down their throats. That's not our message. But we're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here to preach good news. And, and next week I'm going to talk about a little bit about that good news that we are to preach. And, that, and God has, the Spirit of God has anointed us to bring this gospel to the brokenhearted. That's our, that, but, you know, it's going to be hard or harder to bring this gospel to a, a, a society, to a people that are broken if we're still broken ourselves. And so I want to shine some light on that. I, I went into that a little bit last week. But I want we're talking about the garden restored. God has restored us into a right relationship with Him. So we can have what I call our garden experience with God every day. Anytime we want it. He, he, we can have it anytime. So that we can be reconciled so that we can be restored, so we can be refreshed, so we can go out there and bring people to the same garden that we're experiencing, so that they can have their own personal relationship with God, their own personal garden experience with God, so that they too can go out and reach other people. Are you? Am I making sense? What I just said is really the heart behind this message. I want to lead you into a garden relationship with God on a daily basis so that you can be restored, refreshed, refilled, anointed so that you can go out and bring other people to have their own personal relationship with God so that they too can go out and reach more people. Do you see the multiplication? Do you see how the church is to multiply? Do you see what I'm getting at? You know, Moses, if you read the story of Moses, in his early days, and I think if you go to the first few uh, chapters of Exodus, but primarily chapter 3, and I'm not going to go there today in my message as far as turning there. But Moses was called of God to deliver the Israel out of bondage. And he spent 40 years living under Pharaoh's house. And then, and after he uh, killed the Egyptian, and word got out that he had, had done that. He fled for his life to the backside of the desert. And while he's on the backside of the desert, in another 40-year period of his life, he had an encounter with God. And his encounter was not a garden. His encounter was a burning bush. And it caught his attention. And during that conversation God had with Moses, God told Moses that he's going to go back to Egypt to bring people to the same mountain that he was already at. That was his proof. That was his directive. There was more being said. There was a bigger picture being said. But one of my... I've always been a tree. Now, I don't have the chapter reference for you. I think it's in chapter 3. But it's midway. It's towards the end of that, that conversation. And he said, you're going to go bring... I'm paraphrasing it. But you're going to go rescue Egypt. I mean, Israel from Egypt. And you're going to bring them to the same mountain. I've had a garden experience with God. The way I'm picturing my relationship with God. And I'm here to bring you to the same garden that, that, that I'm experiencing. In a very similar fashion, Moses was go to rescue Israel and bring them to the same mountain. Hopefully I'm painting a picture. Hopefully you got that connection, that, al that, uh, that analogy. Kind of thing. 
Go with me, if you will, in your Bibles. I don't have them on the screen for you today. But go with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, go to Psalms and go write about seven books or so. And you'll come up to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, we're going to go to chapter 36. And we're going to pick it up at verse 33. I'm going to be reading from the New King James this morning. Ezekiel 36, beginning with verse 33. It says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. I want to read verse 33 again. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you. When did God cleanse you? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the day you received Jesus Christ, you were cleansed from all of your sins. That's the New, New Testament application to this verse. But he says, when the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, not just some, not just from the top ten, but all of your iniquities, and it's only through Jesus that your iniquities are cleansed. I will also, the word also is the operative word here, also, in addition to, enable you to dwell in the cities, and the rooms shall be rebuilt. <coughs> We're going to come back to that. And the desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they, who's they, those who are passing by, shall say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations... <coughs> which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I love this passage. And there's some more that we're going to be using in this series to piggyback just on exactly what we just read here. This is Old Testament. But there's a New Testament application to what we're reading also. God is telling Israel in this stage in history that they're a desolate land. They're in bondage. They've been destroyed. But God is going to restore their cities, their inhabitations, the places where they dwell, the places where God has planned. That they are going to be like the Garden of Eden once again. So that all who pass by, who all who witness, all who know them, all who see this even from a distance, are going to see that God rebuilt them. And they are fortified. And they are inhabited. 
and they are blessed like the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the, the most beautiful oasis and desired place that can ever be seen throughout Scripture and throughout history. It's not Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not a desolate place. It's not a wasteland. It's a beautiful place. You know, in Israel's situation, how did they get there? How did they get so desolate? Because of sin. Because of disobedience. Because of judgment. Maybe you're watching and you're like, how did I get here? Now maybe you got here because it's your fault. Maybe you've been in sin, you've done sin, you've done worse than sin. Maybe you're in jail, maybe you're in prison, I don't know. <coughs> I'm here to tell you, God is in the restoring business. And I'm going to bring out scriptures in this series, not so much today, and we might get to some of those. But when God restores, He restores double. I can bring you scripture after scripture after scripture that says when God restores, He restores double. But, but there's another picture we can paint. Maybe you're in the situation that you're in, not because of something you've done, but because of something someone's done to you. I mean, just look at Daniel, for example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Joseph. They didn't do anything wrong. Now they were part, in, in, in Daniel's case, in, in the Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's case, they were part of Israel. They didn't sin, but their king and the, the people sinned, and so they were just uh, part of, part of the, the POW experience. But Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Joseph was integrous. Joseph was honest. He was righteous. He was holy. And yet he was falsely accused and put into uh, uh, the, the dungeon. Yet he had favor there, but he's still in jail. You know, even if I'm a, a five-star prisoner... I'm still a prisoner. And I don't want to be a prisoner. Some of you, perhaps listening, maybe you know people, they're in a situation because they've been victimized. They've been assaulted. They've been raped. They've been uh, molested. They've been, there's all kinds of different things that have happened to them. And there's not enough words to describe the horror and the injustice that they have endured. There's not enough words I could say that would, that would bring ease to their pain. Although I wish I could. But they find themselves in a very desolate situation because of something someone else has done. Maybe because of some of the anarchy going on in our world today. You've been taken advantage of. Whether you've been someone in your household or family has been killed. Maybe your business has been burned to the ground. There's all kinds of different things that are going on in this world. I don't know all the stories, but maybe something's have been happening to you or is happening to you. And, and, and maybe even the country you live, uh, maybe you don't have the funds to do what God's called you to do. Well, I don't know what's going on, but maybe you find yourself in a situation that's desolate, it's dark, it's lost, but it's not because it's your, it's your fault. There could be even some other scenarios and offshoots of what I'm saying. Maybe it's because of sin, maybe it's because of someone's sin against you. Maybe it's, a, it just, it's a, you know, uh, 
There can also be another area that still falls in the area of sin, but you've done what God's called you to do, but you've done it your way. You've done it in your own strength. You've done it with your own blessing and not the blessing of God. You're doing the right thing, but you're doing it the wrong way. You're doing it in your strength. Maybe some things are happening to you because like Jonah, God's told you to go here, but you've gone there. Or you haven't gone at all. And Jonah, in the situation with Jonah, the, 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 boat, the boat is going to sink until they throw you overboard. And I, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to paint a wrong picture here. But I don't know how you got or why you are in the situation. And that might be important to a certain degree because if you're sinned, you need to get some things right. You need to allow God to be your healer. You need to be honest with the situation. You need to be honest before God. And He's not here to condemn you. He's here to heal you. He's here to set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But whether you got here on your own doing, or whether you got here because of someone else's doing, or maybe it's all, it's C, all of the above, it's a little bit of your own doing, and it's a little bit of their own doing, or maybe it started out with them doing something wrong, but you reacted, and you made it worse. And now it's a mess. I don't know how you got to where you are, but... And I have the saying, I can't do what I can't undo what I've done. But what I'm gonna do is another matter. I'm not here to magnify your sin. I'm not here to magnify how you've been victimized, how horrible it may have been. I'm not here to excuse it, I'm not here to justify it, but I'm here to preach Jesus. I'm here to magnify Jesus. I'm here to magnify the word of God. And he says, verse 33, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the rooms shall be rebuilt. Israel was in a position because of their own Folly because of their own sin. But God says, I will cleanse you and I will rebuild the city so that all who pass by will see this land that was desolate is now like the Garden of Eden, a restored garden. That's what God wants to do in your life. And it's not you who's going to do it, it's God. Who's going to do it? Am I making sense? You need to stop trusting yourself. You need to stop trusting your religion. Or your religiosity. Your own performance. And you need to trust God. Now, I'm not, when I talk about religiosity, I'm not saying there's not things we need to do. We need to be in the Word. Yes. We need to have a relationship with the Word and the Word of God. But don't make this a religion. Make this a relationship. There's a difference. We need to pray. Yes. Prayer changes things. Yes. We need to be in koinonia, a relationship with God, walking with Him in the garden. But don't make that a religion. It's a relationship. There's a difference. We need to go to church. 
And right now, that can look in a lot of different ways. We don't need, we, <coughs> we should not forsake the simple of ourselves. But don't make that a religion. Make it a relationship. We should tithe. But don't make it a religion. Make it a relationship. Am I, am I making sense? I can take my life, wife out for dinner as an obligation in my own mind. And if, I'm, if it, it's just an obligation, it will show that I'm just doing this as an obligation. And I'll be a more doo-doo for doing it out of obligation than if I didn't do it out of the heart. There's a difference. Have you ever had a relationship, whether it be a parent-child relationship, or a marital relationship, or an employer-employee relationship, and the person was only doing it out of duty and not out of the heart. There's a difference. Don't treat your relationship with your Abba, your King, your God, out of a religion, but a relationship. Am I making sense? I hate religion. And I'm going to say something that might even... I hate Christian religion because it paints an ugly picture of what true Christianity really is. It misleads people. I love Christianity, true Christianity, that is all about a relationship with God. And it's been restored because of Jesus. And God can take the filth, God can take the, you know, God knows you. God knows me more than anyone else. God has seen me at my worst. God has seen my worst days. God has seen my most evil thoughts. And yet he loves me unconditionally. He thought he was worth dying for. And he... <coughs> Church, people haven't necessarily got this. Yes, God has died for you. Yes, Jesus died for you. But God didn't just want to die for you. That's the starting place. He wants to live in you. He didn't just die. He was resurrected. God, Jesus didn't just die for you and that's, the end. that's all he had to do. No, Paul said this way, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Him giving himself, it was the ticket, was the way that he could get into it. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the, <coughs> excuse me, we are the household of God. We've been bought with a price. We are the tip. We are the dwelling place of God. And his kingdom, his garden, is not here or there. It's here. In the garden of our hearts. In my heart, in everything we do, through all of our Bible classes, through all of our, our, our Bible studies, through every message I teach, that everything we do on Facebook is to help edify people into a living relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Healer. Whatever you need, 
It's already been provided through Jesus Christ. Go walk with God and receive everything you need. You need wisdom? You need direction? You need revelation? He'll give it to you. He said he'll give it to you freely. Walk with God. Walk with Him. I wasn't going to go here, but go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I want to read that again, but from the King James. As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. The same way you receive Christ is the same way you walk in Him. But how I have perceived it through the years is that how I receive Christ and how I walk with Him are two different things. I receive Him by grace because of what He's done, but I have to work out my own salvation. Yes, but the Bible says, say, in Philippians chapter 2, that we are to walk out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but that's in the comma at the end of that verse. And the very next verse says, For it is God who is at work in you, the will and the do of His good pleasure. You can't live out your own life without, or you can't work out your own salvation with fear and trouble without God working in you the will of his good pleasure. You can't do it without him. If you can do it without God, you don't need God. That's Antichrist. The word Antichristo, Antichrist, means instead of or against Christ. I don't need me instead of him. No, I need me. I need, me my, I need to reckon myself dead to sin, my sin nature, which is through Adam, a natural nature, a carnal nature, and myself alive in him through Christ Jesus. He has translated me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He removed, he took my sin, he nailed it to the cross, so that I could be right with him. And it says, As he therefore being received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. And then the King James, I love the King James, there's a colon after verse 6. I'm in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And at the end of verse 6 in the King James, there's a colon. And the colon tells me that it's going to expound on what this walking in him looks like. Because the same way I receive Christ is the exact same way I walk in Him. I don't receive Christ a different way than I walk in Him. They, they, they're synonymous. They, 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 they're hand in hand. The same way I receive Christ. I didn't get my life together. I didn't walk holy so I could receive Christ. No, I received Christ because I heard the gospel. When I read the book of Acts, the book of Acts says they, 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 they heard the gospel, received the gospel, and they heard Christ and received Christ and were baptized. They heard Christ, they received Christ and were baptized. They heard 
the good news. They heard what Jesus had did. They received Jesus and were baptized. They were emerging to him. They heard it and received it. They heard it and received it. I heard what God did for me in the Christ. I received him as my personal Savior. And at that moment, I was saved. In the same way I received Christ is the same way I walk in him. The word saved is the word sozo at, its, at, its, at the root form. It's soteria. Salvation is a longer form. But sozo saved. And it's an all-inclusive word that means wholeness. It means healing. It means provision. It means it means deliverance. In the same way I receive salvation, receive Christ, Yeshua, Yeshua in the Hebrew is, is Jesus, and it means the Lord is my salvation. I receive salvation. I receive Jesus. Trying to get the reference, but we were we're not born. We're not when we're born again. We're not born again of corruptible seed, Adam. We're born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God. We're saved, and in the same way that we receive Christ Jesus, this seed, this new nature, is the same way that we walk in Him. And how do we walk in Him? Well, verse 7 tells us, because of the colon at the end of verse 6. And verse 7 says, being rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. It's not any faith. There's a definite article there. The faith. What faith? I'm not... Faith is, is, is what I believe in. It's what I'm trusting in. It's what I'm relying on. Am I relying on what I'm doing? Or am I relying on what He did? Or is doing in my life. It's the faith. I'm not putting my faith in me. I'm putting my faith in him. There's a difference. Am I making sense? I don't want to trust what I'm doing. I want to trust what he did. I want to trust what he says. I want to be rooted and built up and established in the faith. I don't want to just be a passing thought. I want to be established in him. As ye, it says, as ye have been taught. We need to be taught this. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. All this should be done in an attitude of thanksgiving, not an obligation. Relationship. <coughs> Hopefully I'm making sense. Anyway, I, I got off on a side, side trail here. I want to uh, get back to something. Go with me to... Well, actually, let's go back to Ezekiel real quick. Ezekiel, God says, Therefore, from the day that I cleanse you, I will, and I'm paraphrasing now, the ruins shall be rebuilt. And I want to deal with a, a little bit about this rebuilding. God wants to rebuild. Sin has destroyed a lot of things. Whether someone's sinning against us, or we committed sins, or usually a combination thereof. But go with me to Joel. Joel is four books to the right. We're in Joel chapter 2. I think we went here last week. Joel 2, verse 25. And God says, And so I restored the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, and the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, and my great army would have sent them on to you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. 
and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt, dealt wonderfully with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am the, in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never be put to shame. Again, Joel is talking about this, this judgment that was on Israel because of sin. But whether it's your sin or whether it's someone who sinned against you, but when sin, sin always destroys. Always. It's never worth it. It will always cost you more than you think. It will always steal more than you think. It will always kill, steal, and destroy. Always. Whether it's something you do, sin, or whether someone does something to you, which is sin, it will destroy, kill, steal, destroy. That's why even when Paul says in Romans, anything that's not a faith of sin is sin. Because when we're not walking in faith, but instead we're walking in unbelief, it will destroy. It will still kill and destroy. I don't want, I want to feed my faith and starve my fears. I don't want to feed my fears and starve my faith. Hopefully I'm making sense with that. But God says, I will restore. Whether it's because of something you've done or someone's done to you, if it's sin, if someone who has violated you, it's been like, you know, it's been like locusts, it's just devoured you. There's some people, because of their emotional wounds, that go so deep, they're so devoured. And their whole life looks like it's just a bunch of wounds. It's been devoured, it's been chewed on. It's just been, it's ugly. It's just barren. It's, it's desolate. But God says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Whether it's something you've done or whether it's something done to you, God wants to restore. And He wants to restore where there's no shame. You know, even people who've been violated still feel shame. It's not their fault what people have done to them, but they still feel like it's their fault. So many times I've heard people who have been abused and they, they, they thought it was their fault. It's not their fault, but there's still this shame that they're experiencing. God, whether something that is your fault or not your fault, there's still this shame. And God doesn't want you to live with shame. He wants to set you free. Go with me to Haggai. Or Haggai. So keep going to the right. You already went to Joel. So keep going to the right. Haggai is the third to the last book of the Old Testament. So, uh, if, uh, if you go to Malachi, go back three books and find Haggai, or Haggai. And we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 2, verse 4 in just a moment. Haggai is only two chapters, and it's one of my favorite Old Testament books. And I, I don't, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole book right now. But I want to actually recap what's going on at this point in the book of Haggai. Again, this is Israel had already been destroyed, gone to exile because of their sin. But now they're at a point where uh, they're going back. And God is restoring the cities. And 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 you read Nehemiah, you read Esther, you get some more of the, 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 the backdrop of what's what's going on here. But through Haggai, they were supposed to go back and do one main thing, build a temple. 
they would have one main instruction in, in this book, in chapter 1, that they were to go to rebuild the temple. And when they went back, they started well. They started well to rebuild the temple. But then they got distracted in building their own homes. And God dealt with them in chapter 1. He, he, he dealt with them. How they, the, there's nothing wrong with having their own homes. But while the temple laid a waste, he dealt with them. Because that was not why they went back. That's not what their, their instruction was. They were supposed to build the temple and finish the job. How many of you uh, have started house projects on the house that you just didn't finish? You know? I'm not talking about that so much right now, but you get in the picture. They were supposed to go and finish the job. They were supposed to go and build the temple. And so God dealt with them. God, God addressed that uh, through chapter 1. And then they started building the temple. And they finished the job. But then when they looked at it, they were discouraged. First they got distracted. Second they got discouraged. Because they were looking at... Now these, this was the same generation that saw Solomon's temple. In all of its splendor. and all of its glory. and all of its majesty. And now they were building, rebuilding the temple. And it didn't look anything like Solomon's. Can you kind of see the picture? You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. It was, and so they got discouraged. It didn't look anything like Solomon's temple. And so now God is speaking to them. We're picking up in chapter 2, verse 4. Okay? That makes sense so far with the backdrop. They started, build, they started building the temple. They got distracted. So God dealt with them. Now they, they, they finished the job. And now they're discouraged. And God's going to deal with that. He says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 4. Says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Explanation mark. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter temple shall be greater then the former says the Lord of hosts, And in this place I will give peace to the Lord of hosts. Now, excuse me, I just see if I want to talk here. Skip down to verse 13 with me. Uh, actually, excuse me, I want to go a little further. Verse 14. Verse 15, sorry. Haggai chapter 2, verse 15. There's some more stuff here I just don't want to spend the time on right now. Verse 15, it says, Now, carefully consider from this day forward. From before, stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out 
fifty bounds from the press. There were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hell and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now, verse 18, from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month and the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the sea still in the barn, as yet the vine, and the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but from this day I will bless you. What's going on here? A couple of different things I want to deal with the latter part first. He has some strong language here, starting from verse 15 to verse 18. God is still dealing with some of the stuff that was already going on earlier in the, in the, in the book. Remember, they started, started building the house of God, and they stopped building the house of God. And God actually dealt with that, and that's why he's dealing with some of these things. He, he dealt with their procrastination. He dealt with their uh, lack of obedience uh, of what God told them to do. Kind of like Jonah. They went in a different direction. God dealt with that. It's a very similar story, just different connotations. And, uh, and God dealt with that. God couldn't bless that. God couldn't bless their disobedience. Okay? That same point, what's the New Testament analogy? God says, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. You know, he, he told, he told Saul, uh, Saul when he was still, uh, uh, before he was Paul, if you kick against the goats, it will be hard for you. There's sometimes we kick against the goats. There's times that we don't we procrastinate doing what God's called us to do. It kind of goes with our, our Bible study that we're doing on Sunday nights about don't limit God. When we limit God, we are going to kick against the goats. We're doing their own strength. We're, we're going to, and then we get God doing that. But he says in verse 19, but the first day that you begin to obey me, and I can tie obedience back to trust, when the first day you begin to trust me, you obey me because you trust me. And the first day you begin to trust me, the first day you begin to, to step out of the boat and begin to do what I called you to do, I will bless you. But Dave, you just talked about it's not about our obedience, it's about his obedience. You just said we're not trusting what we do, we're trusting what he did. Now you're saying that for the first day that we obey God, he'll bless us. Which is it? We obey him because we trust him. I'm not trusting what I'm doing. I'm trusting his word and, do, and responding to it. Versus me trying, trust me, doing, responding to his word and trusting me. You can do the right thing. You can build a house. You can do what God's called you to do and you can trust yourself. But when you do it out of obedience to God, when you do it because you're trusting God and his word, there's a difference. Am I making sense? It's a fine line, but it's a fine line between it working and not working. Are you trusting Him? Are you, tr are, you, are you trusting what you're doing because His Word says so? Because God told you to do it. There's a difference between you doing it in your own strength and you, 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 you uh, trusting what He's told you to do. But He also talked about the this, 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 dissatisfaction between verses 4 and starting verse 4 that I read here that God says I'm going to the, the, the glory that's going to fill this latter house is greater than the glory that will fill the former house. God says from the day that you left Egypt my spirit is still with you. 
God's presence is with you. If you are born again, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, His presence is with you. God, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I think it's in Psalms where Jesus, uh, David says, if I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to hell, you are there. Of course, we know God's not in hell, but at the same point in time, God is everywhere. And if you find yourself in a desolate situation because of something you sin, or something you've done against God, or someone's done against you, no matter where you find yourself today, God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, it says also says in Joel, and Peter echoes this in, in Acts, that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That's a whole big topic right there, because he says he'll pour out his spirit upon all flesh. It doesn't just say believers. Now, I, I don't believe that a a non-believer can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other teaching. But he says he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. What does that mean? You know, people will say, don't go to that God-forsaken place. There's no God-forsaken place. There's only one God-forsaken place, and that's hell. Okay? That's why I said Jesus didn't go there. Jesus is not there. That's why it's hell, because his presence is not there. He's not there. But there's no place on this planet that is God forsaken. We will get a new heaven. We will get a new earth. This one's too messed up. But we're still here. And God's presence is still here. His glory fills the earth. Now, there are certain places that, uh, where people have not received God, and so you don't feel His presence as strong. But God is still there. You know, one thing about hell versus an evil place today is, see, one thing about hell, let me just go off on this just for a second, I want to stay here. <clears throat> Nobody on this planet has fully experienced a life without God. Now, they might seem to be, they might have Push God out as far as they could. But God is still here. His presence, His Spirit is still everywhere. Only in hell will be a place of absolute godlessness. None of us on this planet has ever experienced complete, absolute godlessness. Because as long as there's still there's breath in their lungs, there's hope. That makes sense. And I, you know, I don't have time to expand on all that. I'm talking about, I'm not talking to the godless. I'm talking to believers. I don't, wherever you might find yourself today, God says he wants to restore you. You might, if even, I'm using Haggai. Why am I using Haggai? Because you might have started well, but you got distracted in building your own lives. Maybe even building your own ministry. And you got distracted. And you're, and God is dealing with that. He's calling you back to the garden. He's calling you back to the place where you met him. Maybe along the way, not only did you get distracted, but maybe you got abused. 
You got wounded. God wants to call you to his garden to heal you. To heal those wounds that go deep within. And some of you, as you are going forward and, and trying to walk with God in the garden and trying to, to, to build this relationship with God, you're like, you know what? It doesn't look like I thought it would. And God is saying today that He wants to fill you with His Spirit, with His presence, in such a way that all who pass by are going to see this desolate place being be like the Garden of Eden again. God wants to fill you in such a way that the glory that fills this latter house will be greater than the glory that fills the former house. You are not a God-forsaken place. You are a place that's filled with the Spirit of God and the life of God. And God wants, instead of shame, wants to give you double honor. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. I don't have time. I'm just about out of time. I'm going to see if I have some time. Go with me in closing to uh, Psalm 23. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Psalm chapter 23, a very popular psalm, especially in my childhood. We're going to read the whole psalm here. It's just six verses. And it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley <coughs> of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <coughs> you know, this, these six verses are just rich and just saturated with promise. I'm talking about the garden restored. A relationship with your Abba. And in this connotation, I'm painting a picture as David painted a picture. He's not just your Abba. He's not just your God, your King, your Savior. He's your shepherd. That's another way sometimes I picture him. He's my shepherd. I'm lost. I feel like a lost sheep sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I don't know where to go. I don't know where the pasture is. I'm, I feel like beaten up. I've been on a journey. But he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. Some of us have been white water too long. And we need some still, we need some calmness. We need some quietness. Verse 3, I love this. I mean, we're talking about the garden restored. He restores my some of you, you've just been in the dungeon too long. You've been on the backside of the desert too long. You've been the victim too long. You've been playing the harlot or the sinner too long. But God says He wants to restore your soul.
You know, we pray for a lot of people. Some have received healing from cancer and all kinds of diseases. But you know the ones that go deeper than even cancer or COVID? is the ones that go deep in the soul. Inside of you, you're... Well, you, and, and, and I could go so much off on this. Almost every single disease, if not every single disease and sickness, is stemmed back to the soul. We are such a we worry, we stress, we we have anxiety, we fear, and fearing, anxiety, worry is a cause of almost every single illness, if not the cause. And I found that when people's soul gets healed, the cancer and everything else just falls. I found that we've seen that so many times. At other times, we've seen people get healed from different diseases, and yet they don't deal with the soul. And yet this illness or another illness just comes right back. We've seen this time and time and time and time again. God wants to restore your soul. God wants to heal so deep that no medicine, no person, no anything else can touch, but the Spirit of the living God can bring complete healing to the core. He leads me to in the path of righteousness. I just talked about how righteousness is a right relationship with God. He leads me. You can't live righteously without His guidance. You can't live a godly life, a moral life, without His guidance. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Come back to the garden. Let Him lead you to the tree of life. So that by the tree of life, you can live righteously. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It may be a shadow, but it can be a very thick shadow. But he will lead you with your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even his rod, his staff comforts us, but sometimes we need his correction. It's comforting. It's comforting to go through Godly discipline. It might be painful in the moment, but we need it. All scripture is proper with doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. We need a reproof. We need a correction. We need it. Any good athlete, any successful person, any vocation whatsoever has had good discipline. Any good child, any good uh, parent is a parent because they've had good discipline themselves. Maybe you've had a bad parents, but you can be disciplined by your Heavenly Father who can teach you how to discipline your children properly. Discipline is a lovely thing. And when I teach discipline, I teach it from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, which is actually echoed from Proverbs chapter 3, because the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. And Proverbs chapter 3, for me, is a, book of, is a chapter of mercy. He teaches us by his mercy. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't say in the absence of your enemies. He says he will prepare a table, a banquet for you in the presence of your enemies. What's his table? I picture this table as a his table of remembrance. His body that was broken for us and the blood of his covenant that was shed for us. 
You know, the early church, they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and to, to fellowship and to breaking of bread. To me, it's covenant. God has a covenant relationship with you. And he prepares a covenant table for you in the presence of your enemies. You know, even before, when Israel went to war, before they went to battle, they were supposed to have a burnt offering. A burnt offering reminded them of their righteousness. Before they ever had a battle, they were to be reminded who they were in God. And God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemy. He prepared his body that was broken for you. And the, the, he reminds you of his covenant relationship with you. That God is with you. Who can be against you? God's covenant. God has, God has, see, salvation is not just healing and wholeness and provision. It's also deliverance. Your God will deliver you from your enemies. And he will make your enemies his footstool. But he says, come and sit until I make your enemies your footstool. I think this is Psalm 110. Until. We want to, some of us refuse to rest until our enemies are made our footstool. No, he says, come and rest until. Rest first. Trust him first. Come to his banqueting table. Because his banner over you is love. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. God wants to bless. You mean if you come to his garden, you come to his table, you come to his presence, you let him lead you to the, the still waters, his refreshing, his garden. God, what it will fill you that your cup runs over. I see refreshing here. I see healing here. I see provision here. I see God fortifying you. But what's ahead? Come. To the garden that's been restored. Your shepherd is leading to still waters. He's coming to, with his rod, his staff to comfort you. He's prepared a table before you. He's reminding you of his covenant. He's here. He's anointing you. He's anointed you. And he said, don't touch my anointed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this anointing next week. But God has anointed you. He's anointed you for what God's called you to do. It might not be pastoring. It might not be a missionary in Africa or wherever it might be. But God has anointed you to do what you have done. And it runs over. And then he, he has a caboose. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wherever you go, whatever happens in these last days, God says, surely, surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in his house, his garden, his temple, his presence forever. We are the house of God. God restored his garden for us to dwell forever. No matter what it looks like, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how evil it gets, no matter what people do to you, no matter how many evil enemies you have, you have a secret place, my friend, to come and dwell with your Abba. Anytime you need, you just come and walk and sit in his lap, come boldly if you need to to the throne of grace, and come and receive from his banqueting table, come and receive his refreshing waters, come and receive of his goodness, come and receive of his mercy. Even if you messed up, even if you fall off the tracks, so to speak, 
He says, goodness and mercy follows you. Because even along the path, even along the way, you make a big mistake. His mercy is coming. His mercy is following you. Not to help you to sin, but if I can teach on mercy, His mercy will discipline you. It says in Proverbs 3, that don't let mercy hide, bind it around your, your, your neck. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways of knowledge in Him, He will direct your path straight. And then He goes on and talks about discipline. What Hebrews chapter 12 quotes from. If you will bind His mercy around your neck, it will be your friend. That will guide you so you won't be wise in your own eyes. But you will let Him discipline you. So you will be a disciplined disciple. Because a disciplined disciple is basically the same word. Discipline and discipleship is almost identical. I want to be a, a disciple of Christ. I want to be a disciplined follower of Christ. And I'm led by His mercy. And His goodness. His goodness. We have a good God. He's good. He's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We were at Crossroads in 2004, and God gave us a word, rest in my goodness, and I will take care of everything. Church, rest in his goodness. Rest in his goodness. Rest in his goodness. Rest. 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 Don't fret. Don't fear. Rest in his goodness. Come to his garden. Rest in his goodness. Rest. He's a good God. One word, he can change your circumstance, your finances, your situation, whatever you need. One rest in his goodness. Rest in his goodness. Come, the garden is moving. He's told you, he's given you way to the tree of life to come and rest and be filled and be anointed to do what God's called you to do. Rest, my friend. And he will take care of everything. I want to conclude by going back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33. Sorry. Ezekiel 36. Verse 33. <coughs> Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Rest, my friend. The desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they shall say, this land that was desolate hath become like the garden of Eden, and the wasted desolate ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Be blessed, be encouraged. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I don't know if I'm communicating my heart in this message. I don't know. I feel like I'm speaking to many different people from many different situations. But Lord, I... Let people understand your goodness, your mercy. They understand the importance of a relationship with you. Everything they need, everything they need is found in a real, authentic relationship with you. 
It's not pumped up. It's not just imaginary. It's real. It's a relationship. And everything they need is found there. We worship you. We magnify you. Bless us as we come. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.